Manny Osborne Parody is a professional athlete. He's a legend in the world of alpine skiing, having raced in four Olympics and six world championships. He's the first Canadian to win both a World Cup downhill and a World Cup Super G race. But what's most compelling about this British Columbian native and his athletic success is really something more than his fierce competitive drive and his need for speed. It's the wisdom and the humility that comes from years of competing at the top of his sport. Join Manny, who shares some memorable highlights from his skiing career, like the notorious life-threatening race at Kitzbühel, Austria, to what it feels like to have the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation throw you a retirement party. This is his story. Welcome to Sippin' On Stories, where we take you into the lives of diverse and unique change makers who turn anxiety, fear, and passion into powerful recipes for success. Good stories build insightful connections, but great stories. Now, that's something special. Today's story is one of those stories. Get ready for a fascinating glimpse into the life of a man that has spent the better part of his life literally speeding through it. Rose McInerney here, and we're back with another Super G episode inside the life of a professional athlete and Canadian Olympian, Manny Osborne Parody. It's a real honor today to chat with Manny, who is one of those guys that confirms nice people really can make it to the top of their game. Manny is larger than life. He's just settling back into a more normal life back home in British Columbia, having recently retired in 2020. I know he's brought something to sip on today with us, so grab your drink and let's head into our Sipping Lounge. Don't forget to visit our Sipping on Story website and also to check out our show notes for more details about how you can connect with me, Rose, your host, or any of our guests. We'd love to hear from you and also appreciate it if you would hit that subscribe button too. Manny, it's great to see you today. You too, Rose. There's so much to say. You and I met a couple of years ago. I think we met in Whistler. I think it was maybe three years ago. Oh, no, no. I think longer than that now. I think like five years ago. Oh, man. And you haven't aged at all. But honestly, I'm so excited today. I did a little bit of research and trying to learn a little bit about, you know, what is this Alpine and what the hell is the difference between like big G and downhill and all that kind of stuff. But I couldn't help but get carried away by just your legacy, the most frequent descriptive word, the adjective that comes up is often cowboy. I don't know if you relate to that at all, but what seems to stand out in your Wikipedia page, and not many of us have a Wikipedia page, it is that you are just a hell of a nice guy. Does that feel like it's about spot on for you and in your personality? Well, I hope so. I hope so. Um, you know, how, how you feel people perceive you and how they actually perceive you is generally <laughs> uh, two different beasts, right? But uh, I try to be a nice guy. Um, I think it's it's hard when you're trying to be uh, professional and, and um, self-indulging uh, um, and, and self-motivating and, and self-everything uh, as an athlete. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that that's what people were able to take away from that because I know that that, that was a hard balance all the time through my life was figuring out um, 
when when I needed to be greedy and when to just you know take the time to to listen to people and and uh, not be an athlete. <laughs> Honestly, that humility is coming out already. And I want to just start this off too as well for those of you in the audience that don't know Manny. He is the first Canadian to win both a World Cup downhill title as well as a World Cup Super G title. Is that right in alpine skiing? That's correct. Yeah. So not just a hell of a nice guy, but really a legacy of skiing that started back in 2005. Is that right? Yeah. 2005, I think it might have been the 2004, 2005 ski season because it starts in November. But uh, yeah, around there. Yeah. Okay. So four Olympics, you've gone through four Olympics, six world championships in alpine skiing, and you competed in and you're going to really have to help me on this one. Alpine skiing is made up of four different downhill events. Can you explain them a little? Yeah, there's four historical events, which are downhill, super G, giant slalom, and slalom. Super G is super giant slalom, but it's it's shortened. And uh, and then over the last couple of years, they've well, there was always a combined, which was a downhill and a slalom, which has then evolved into a super combined, which is one downhill and two slaloms. And, uh, or sorry, the opposite of that. There was a combined with a downhill and two slaloms. Then it was a super combined with a downhill and slalom. And then now there's also uh, city events, which are giant slalom races that are dual in cities that they you know make with scaffolding or, or whatnot. Plus at the Olympics and world champs, there's a team event. Um, which is a combined giant slalom generally. So, um, but, but weekend and week out on the World Cup tour, there's generally four events, the, the slalom, giant slalom, super G and downhill. And there really are amazing spectator. Like this is a great spectator sport too, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, it's all about speed, right? Yeah, it's, we, we get a lot of people showing up to the races in Europe. Um, you know, this is all pre-COVID obviously, but, uh, you know, we, there was one kids fuel race a couple of years back that I think they, they exceeded 80,000 spectators. Um, lots of races, 30,000, 40,000 racers or spectators. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, I feel like that's, that's the part that I got, um, got into, I mean, just, just the, the energy of the crowds and the energy of the villages. I mean, these are, these are villages in Europe. I mean, 10,000 people may reside in, in one of the larger ones. And, uh, and then you get this influx of people and, you know, they don't have anywhere to stay and there's traffic jams everywhere. And then you're trying to get to the hill and then you're also trying to get up the, up the, the gondolas and do your job. You know, there's like one hill assigned to you for warming up. So, you know, all these drunk people are sliding down on the rotals and, and skiing everywhere, you know, and you, you're like, you just need to focus. And I would get really amped up. I would get really excited about the crowds and the people and the energy they would bring. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a big highlight of, of being a ski racer. I think it's, it's, and you know, as the weather report looks better, you know, people have to travel from far and wide. So, you know, if it was snowy and people thought maybe the race would get canceled, maybe half would show up or whatever, but on a clear, you know, minus eight bluebird day, it was amazing who would turn out. So where has all this racing taken you? Like name some of the countries and places you've been. Yeah. Ra- I mean, racing, uh, you know, Korea, Russia, and then um, with the Olympics and then 
as far as World Cups, I mean, you're throughout North America and then, uh, I mean, Switzerland, Germany, Austria, France, Slovenia, Croatia, uh, Sweden, Finland, Norway, those kind of places. And then with training too, we spend lots of time in the Southern hemisphere. So, you know, you have Chile, uh, Argentina, New Zealand, uh, a little bit in Australia. And I think that's pretty much the extent. I'm guessing too, Manny, with your legacy like this, like four Olympics, you must have friends in all these places, especially because you're a hell of a nice guy too. That's, that's the hardest part. I mean, 16 years on the World Cup tour. Uh, you know, I started um, before the internet was really prevalent in a lot of these places, especially in Europe, you know, like the internet had caught on here, Facebook had caught on, but you get to Europe and they, you know, cell phones kind of uh, got them online uh, with concrete buildings everywhere and whatever, you know, it's hard to wire the buildings and hard to get um, uh, wireless, right? So it was always just internet in the lobbies and stuff. So, you know, the internet took a little while to get to get there and same in Chile. So uh, these are pre-internet days where we had to go to the bar to meet people. Le- listen, like you would, you would sweat on the dance floor and it would touch somebody else before you knew their name. You know, it was, it was a real deal. I know, I know germs everywhere. Crazy. I know that's unfathomable now. So, yeah. So as you know, the young guys on the team this last couple of years, I was always like, let's go out. I've got all these friends and they were always like, they couldn't believe that I had all, all these friends in every town we would go to. And I said, yeah, we come here every year for like two weeks of the same week. Like, this is great. Like there's people here. So I, that's been the hardest part for, for COVID and then retiring during COVID and everything is, you know, you really said goodbye to a whole ton of friends that, um, you know, hopefully I'll see at some point, but tough, tough. I know it's such a different world to imagine. And your retirement is recent. We'll get to that in a few minutes, but you know, 2020 was the year, which maybe was apropos in lieu of everything to say, okay, I've accomplished what I set out to do. I love that you're called the best glider in the world. My husband tells me why, but why is it that you think people call you that? Is it, is it speed? What is it? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's been nice that, that, uh, that I've kind of gotten that title over the years. Um, there's a couple other guys that are really good gliders, uh, but I think it actually, it started because I, I came into the World Cup circuit with a bang. And the first race that I ever was in, I almost podiumed. I, I had, um, you know, I don't know what the saying is, it's like uh, vinegar juice and whiskey or something. I was just, you know, I was young and dumb and, and uh, nothing to lose. Yeah, nothing to lose. And, um, and I ended up making a huge mistake on like the third last gate, which is a really easy gate. And I should have been on the podium, but I wasn't. I was like 19. It didn't matter. But during that race, I took a line and it was like this, it was like a 14 second split. So there's, there's, there's uh, time traps all the way down the hill. So you can see how people are doing. And it's like this little split and it was an irrelevant split. And all week I was winning it by like half a second. And generally like everybody's within like a 10th of a second, like 30 guys. And I was winning it by a, a half second and I won it by a half second all week. And people were like, who is this guy? He's starting in the back and he's winning this rate or winning this split. And I had, I had no idea. I just was, I just kept winning it. And then from there on, I mean, I, I always knew like my bread and butter was always made on the flats and that's where the gliding is. It's the flats. And a lot of people like, 
it's interesting because there's not much to do on the flats. You know, you're kind of in your tuck, you work on your arrow, there's aerodynamics. Um, but there, there's like small little turns and you're generally going, you know, 110 kilometers an hour plus. So it's quite fast, but there's just like little minutiae that you need to know. And, uh, and I just was figuring it out. So, I, you know, always I would say like when I would look at flat areas of downhill courses or super G courses, I would always aim to be top five uh, in those areas. And I always knew when I was top three, I, I would generally do well. And, and people just knew like flatter races. I mean, I was never counted out. It didn't matter if I was on the betting websites or anything. I mean, people, uh, people always bet on me when they were gliding tracks. Okay. So yeah, every hell is different, right? So, and the conditions are different. You never know. Totally. And I, and to, to answer the, the first part of your question, I mean, how did I, how did I get there is, I, you know, I grew up skiing in Whistler and it's soft there. It snows all the time. And so you have to be light on your skis. And a lot of racers in Europe with man-made snow everywhere. And then even in Canada and the U.S., I mean, uh, Eastern, um, the East Coast and, and Eastern mountains, I mean, they, they are, uh, they've, got, they've got more ice. And then even um, in the Rockies and stuff, it's, it's harder snow. So people are really get good at turning. They get good at a good surface under their ski so they can push on it and get really good angles where when you're slugging it in Whistler, you know, you're standing on the top of your skis. You can't, you can't turn, use the side cut. So you just, you, you learn and, and a different style of skiing and that style helped me to really feel the bottom of my skis because the faster glider, you don't want to use the edge. The metal part of your skis are, are slow. The base is the fast part, right? So you run it like you, you're going 130, but you're actually thinking like, how do I keep my skis really flat and engage it and, and just work this, the ski really well. So that's what I ended up being good at. Unless you're a beginner like me, that's like really digging those edges, like slow down. When you say I, that was one of my questions, you know, how fast, what kind of speeds do you get? Yeah. I, I mean, in kilometers, it was a 159 point something or other. So hundred miles an hour is essentially how fast we, we get going. I can't imagine that my eyes wouldn't be watered out even with the goggles, like the whole bit besides there's no time to shake anyway. You're just going praying to make it to the bottom, but moments you're most proud of. What are you most proud of? Um, I mean, result wise, I think uh, there was a super G in 2017 at St. Moritz that Eric and I, uh, one of my fellow teammates, he won the race and I ended up third and super G just was, it was always a struggle for me. Um, just for whatever reasons. And I had just changed ski companies and was really trying to figure out the skis. And I had a really solid week of training the week before. And, and I just never really lost belief of being able to compete in that, that discipline. And I, and uh, it all just kind of came together that day. And I, and I really made a huge mistake about two thirds of the way down and still ended up on the podium. And, uh, and I think it just, I was just proud of the way that all unfolded. And, um, I also had a, a, a supporter in the crowd that, um, Tim Detels, who had been with me from, uh, 2010 Olympics we met and, um, you know, I had, I had blown my knee. I had dealt with multiple injuries. Um, you know, I had not made the team one year, uh, you know, moved to New York and trained, uh, that year and then came back and then just like, he, and he was just there the whole time helping guide me and, you know, help fund me at certain points when, when things were low and, and it was pretty cool. Cause there was about 
35,000 people in the, in the stands and I literally looked up and I saw him and I was like, Hey, and I pointed at him. And I think that that, that actually made that moment as special as it could be. And um, yeah, it was definitely a, a, about sharing it with him, with all the fans and everything. What a great story. You, you don't do it on your own, do you? This is a team. You need backing, financial, like your trainers, your family. Oh, it's, it's huge, Rose. I mean, it's, you're, you're probably three support staff to an athlete uh, being like your, your ski serviceman. And then like the whole, you know, just from your skis alone, each company has a full support team that travels uh, and make sure that your skis are maintained and they test your skis in the morning to make sure that those are the appropriate skis that are running the fastest of your 60 pairs of skis that you have. They will go and figure out like which ones are the fastest on that snow on that day before the race. And then you have somebody tuning them, sharpening them. And then you've got your physios, your team doctors, then your coaches, pretty much every blind spot you have another coach so they can see the way all the way down the course and then they help with training and the environment so you you're, you might be four to four plus coaches on the team and then i mean then you have your the office staff at at home and you know the team managers and all that stuff plus you've got all the sponsors and all the supporters like that's just the team and then you've got all your people that are helping you. So, you know, it really does take a village. Wow. It's an entourage. Honestly, I didn't have any idea it was that kind of number. Yeah. It's, it's amazing uh, how much work it takes, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it is a, uh, it is a professional sport. It's probably the most professional of the amateur sports. And um, that's a big deal in Europe. Um, You know, it's a big deal everywhere, but it's really a big deal in Europe and people live and breathe this sport. And as a Canadian skier too, I mean, I just know that anything hockey, anything winter is a big deal in Canada. We Canadians cheer and love that and want that. But yeah, I had no idea it was that kind of entourage. So how many people, if you're flying over there for an event, like, are you taking, are you don't, did you travel commercial or did you go private? No, you, you, uh, you, you generally fly in the worst seat possible. On the oh, plane, really? You know? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of flying. I mean, I was, I was flying to Europe. Um, Oh, quite often by the end of my career there, I was probably going over back and forth 12 times or so. And then, uh, and then, you know, to South America. And so I would, you know, you're, you're, you become super elite and, and you work that way. I was really fortunate the last three years of my career that, that Audi had put together a budget. So I flew business and Audi covered that, which was great. And I did some stuff for them. So you know, it, it, as you got better, I mean, it, it worked out. I mean, the Olympics and stuff, we would fly business and whatnot. And, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, generally just being over six feet tall and, and in the back of the plane, isn't that much fun. So you do whatever you can to get in the front. It's a business, you know, I was looking, you've got a great website. It's, it's a really nice website with great action shots of you and, you know, it's a shout out to all the different companies that have promoted you in the past, but I can't help but think how much work, you know, you talk about toggling between having some humility, but really pumping yourself up to be top notch and, and to be on the podium. But at the same time, you're also a business. Is it because it's you going to get all these sponsors, right? It is correct. This is a lot of time, a lot of investment to make sure people stay happy, you know, and that you, you have the funds that you need and the, the professionals to make it all happen. Well, you're definitely, you're definitely a brand and, uh, 
you're definitely a salesperson more importantly than almost anything. I mean, you have to, you, I was fortunate when I first joined the team, we did a lot of media training. So that was, that was really great. And, and um, I felt like we had that well, well oiled. And then um, yeah, just as you, as you go through all of these events, I mean, there's an event at every world cup race. There's also events at every event, there's events all the time. So you meet a lot of, uh, of, of people, uh, influential people that, that can help you out in, in your career, can help you out later in your career, uh, that are just fun to meet. Um, you know, it's, it's, that part is really fun, but it's still like it's sales, you know, for every hundred doors you knock, maybe one opens and, uh, and then you, you try to death to keep that door open. Right. So it's, um, yeah, it, it is a business, but it's, Man, it's such a fun business. Now, Rose, we—you said we were going to be sipping on things, and I have my drink here. I haven't been sipping on it because we haven't brought it up yet. What are you sipping on? So, sadly, it's not evening. It's not after five, and I'm kind of like, you know, cutting back on drinking too much through the week. So, I'm sipping on something called Petal. It's this botanical kind of sparkling water that has a unique flavor. This one's not my favorite flavor. It's lychee rose, which sounds kind of gross, but it's good. Well, it's we're two hours behind, right? So it's only 12 o'clock. So I was kind of waiting for it. To, it's 12.24 now. 12 is okay. I'm just, I'm just sipping on Casamigos. You know, I'm like a tequila guy. Look at that glass it's in. Yeah, these are nice glasses. And uh, I mean, they were my scotch glasses, but I've been on a real tequila kick lately. All right. Well, let's cheers to this. Let's cheers. And then tell me about this. Cause I want to ask you about everything Scotland too, because I feel like you're, you live in, it's not Inverness. I keep thinking Inverness, Scotland. Invermere. It's Invermere. So that's a beautiful, like you could be somewhere in a distillery district. I mean, seriously, with your mountains and your beautiful water. There's, there's a couple of distilleries around here, but we, uh, we, and we are a golf uh, place here, you know, town of 3000 people, nine golf courses. Uh, we play golf here. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful where you are in that part of the world. I've got to ask you about, and I, I gave you a little sneak peek before. What the heck is this Kitzbühel? Is it Kitzbühel? Mm -hmm. Kitzbühel, yeah. This is like the Super Bowl, the Grand Dom, the like, this is the pinnacle of every skier. Okay, I'm loving that. I know. I'm, we're on a video, so I'm showing you a picture. There I am right there. So people come, people come to Kitzbühel. It's a thing, but uh, Kitzbühel just, it's, it's, every race is scary. <laughs> it's yes. got its scary bits and let's call it like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, one second, whatever. There's okay. tougher places, but Kitzbühel has got, every race is about two minutes. It's got about a minute of pretty like Terror. grip it and rip it, scary uh portions and it's the first 30 seconds which is really hard because you haven't warmed up or anything yeah and then the last 30 seconds and i mean really the first 30 seconds i mean you go you're going 80 kilometers an hour by the first gate two turns and then you've got a 60 meter jump and then you're going like 130 at the bottom wow and yeah it's it's um it's crazy it's crazy yeah for sure uh and some guys thrive there i was never great there um i just never found my touch i had some some bad crashes earlier on in my career there and I just never really shook them but uh but you know some top tens and and whatever but like nothing no, never on the podium there nothing you lived you lived to tell about it 
I, I lived. I, yeah, but you know, we're professionals. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, there, I mean, fortunately there hasn't been any deaths there in a while. So that's, that's, you know, positive, but I mean, definitely it's another, it's another world. I mean, like one year we were, we, we lowered the start cause the, the race, uh, um, the, the weather wasn't great. And so we had just, we were just down like two gates. It makes it a little easier on the top, but um, there was some, some fog. And, but what happened is there was, now there's a massive big screen TV right at the start. So, you know, there's TVs everywhere, but, but now there's a big one, right? Like a, you know, a hundred foot one. And, uh, and I had a couple guys to go. I was like maybe three, four guys before I was going to go. And we go like two minute intervals. And, uh, and one of my buddies, uh, went down and, um, and ended up crashing and he crashed on the last jump and it was, it was pretty gnarly. He, he was out cold, but he started choking on his tongue and he started convulsing. And this was like on the big screen and like, you know, they needed full medical care, like attention. And it's, you know, it's tough and you got to be like, okay, that was my friend. This is like, not great. But when they say it's go, I, you know, I got six minutes. And then it's my time, right? And so those are the. I think, you know, it's it's hard every every year is hard. I mean, there's people that like lots of comas. People have left there in comas, and lots of guys have ended their careers there. And 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 then there's huge crashes where people just walk away. Um, but it's uh, it's just it's it's hard because you kind of have to just talk yourself into the fact that that's not going to happen to you. I ask about it because for me it showed just the risks that I don't think most people understand. It's amplified there for sure. I read that it's like six, 85 degrees, some of those vertical grades, a 3,000 foot drop in total that you're doing over two miles. It's, it's extreme terrain too. So when you think about what it takes just to be in the gate and let alone see, you know, a teammate that's having a crash and you've got to get in your headspace and also that it's so quick, you're out of the gate. There is no margin for error here. Like your mental and your physical, is that the, the pinnacle? Like, yeah, you know, actually one year I was having a kind of a rough go in the start gate and I was just, you know, you know, you always have doubts and stuff and, and Bodie Miller and I were talking, one of the American downers and he's, and he just, he said, you know, he, you train your whole life to be one of the best in the world. And this is the stage that you get to prove it. And so you need to, you know, this is the opportunity. And I remember holding that and, and being like, he's right. Like he, he was so good. Um, he's like, his mental tenacity was just amazing. And, uh, and, and just how strong he was mentally. So I looked up to him a lot, uh, but also just, just his words of wisdom really helped me. And I, and I got through that week and, you know, I mean, it's I still had massive crashes. I crashed one time at the bottom of that first jump and I, I got up, I had no more ski bindings were gone, no more buckles on my ski boots. Like, you know, and you're like, how am I okay? And then sure enough, you're fine. I mean, I couldn't race the rest of the week. I was pretty sore, but, but, you know, sometimes you just, sometimes you are superhuman you walk away from these things that you shouldn't. And then, you know, other times you just slip and fall in the kitchen. Right. So I'm wondering about the sacrifices. What did it take? to be able to compete at that level. We know you needed a team, you need to knock on doors, but tell us about the sacrifices. Yeah, I mean, sacrifice is an interesting concept because I don't think I really sacrificed anything. I just followed my dreams. And so, you know, following your dreams, dare I say, it takes sacrifice, but it doesn't really, it just takes 
um, fortitude and and believing in something that maybe hasn't already been achieved, right? So you, so I, I never had a doubt that I couldn't be a good World Cup skier through as a kid or anything. I never had dreams or aspirations of being a World Cup skier actually, but I never had any doubts. Um, I wanted to be a professional mountain biker. Uh, that didn't work. Really? Uh, work out for me. Yeah, I, I yeah I grew up in Deep Cove and in, in on the North Shore in, in Vancouver, and it's like the Mecca at that time, especially the Mecca for mountain biking, free ride mountain biking. And that's what I did for the most of my spare time. And then I had organized ski racing during the winter. Unbelievable. What a reversal. (laughs) So, yeah. So, and, and I wouldn't have never been that good. I mean, I, I've got lots of friends that are, are amazing free ride riders and I didn't have that in me. I, I, I definitely picked the right sport for myself. Uh, there's more structure, more coaches, more people keeping you in line. Um, I needed that, but I don't know, my, my self-belief, um, was there. And then, you know, I just, every step of the the way, I mean, I moved to Invermere when I made the, uh, the, the BC provincial team. And then I moved to Calgary when I made the national team, that was where I was based. And I just, I never second guessed it. I never said, oh, well, my life's so good here. I just said, yo, that's what I have to do. This is what's going to happen. This is how I'm going to, uh, you know, alleviate or get get roadblocks out of the way to attain these goals and i mean it was kind of the same with moving back to invermere i had a family and i knew eric lived in trombone he had amazing training whenever he flew home and i didn't have great training i needed to move back to invermere panorama the mountain here uh gave me access to the the best training i possibly could in, in western canada and they never said no they always gave it to me and that's that's what i needed if I was going to go back to Europe, if I was going to see my family go back to Europe, I needed the best training. And so I just made sacrifices that that were what we needed at, to do at the time to to just make things easier. And um, and I think, you know, it's it's an interesting phenomenon. But, you know, you, you, with every racer and every person, you, you kind of have to fake yourself into believing something and then you almost forget that you believe it. And then it happens. And you just are. Yeah. And then you just, and then after that, you believe you can do it. And that's your like new, that's your new level of confidence. And it's so it's, it's, you have to do everything else around you. Uh, You have to, you have to check all those boxes. You have to work out hard. You have to eat the right things. You have to stretch. You have to go to train. You have to do all of that. So then you can kind of make believe that you're good enough to achieve the goals that you have and then that you don't achieve them for a while and you don't know why and then you go back to your routine and then all of a sudden you achieve them and then those are achievable you know you can and now it's now it's true confidence and and we always say again confidence trumps skill every day of the week confidence is an amazing beast if you have the confidence and not false confidence you you start with false confidence but you get confidence by doing all the little things that you think nobody else is doing as well. And they, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's almost confidence through macro for a micro goal. I hear you like a snowball effect in this, you know, <laughs> if we're going to use a, a snow metaphor, but spoken like a true Olympian, because I think that confidence is something you can pack up and take anywhere, but also the idea that you're just doing what you got to do. And more now than ever, I feel like that's kind of what we got to do. We got to just 
do what we have to do to continue to stay optimistic and really to be a good person and to um, achieve some of the things you want to do, whether it's balancing family life, you know, ascending in a career, whatever. I love that. I love that you question the word sacrifice and you just see it as part of a series of things that you have to do to get to where you want to be. That's amazing. Let's take this razor edge sharp mind. Tell me, what's it like when you're in the shoot? What are you thinking? The very beginning of the race. Is it different every time? Always the same. I mean, I def- I worked with um, a lot of psychologists and, and um, different mind, uh, get, like mind science that, of, of how to, where like, where, where those, my zone was. So if I was too amped up, I would use breathing techniques to get, to bring it down. If I needed to amp myself up, if it was hot or whatever, you know, I needed, I needed to find that zone. Uh, once I found that zone, I mean, I, I generally just thought about wanting it, you know, I mean, all the training was, it, it was already done. So, you know, a minute into the gate or 30 seconds, I, I would just think, you know, Okay, like I, I always had a thing where if I used my ankles a little bit more and I engaged my ankles, everything just flowed a little better in my skiing. And I'd say just like use those ankles, and I and I kind of visualize that, and and uh, and then just w- want to get to each gate. You know, it's scary, but just be hungry. Like want there, and and don't worry about the rest of it because you like at that point your need to succeed needs to be greater than all of the rest. And that was actually kind of more what I would talk myself into is that, you know, this was important and you put a lot of work into this and we would generally have 16 races a year. She said, you only get 16 chances at this and now you've got the opportunity to do it. So you better want this because, you know, there are times when you get down to the bottom of your race and like, I put like 98% into that. That was just, where was that last two? But you don't know. So it's all a pregame ritual. So I would always try and get myself to that to that point, and then and then really spend the week. I mean, in downhill it is a week long with training runs and everything. Spend the week on figuring out how to just make that the most important thing in your life. Speeding down the hill, kind of same, keeping that mindset as you're going down the hill and watching technique. I guess. Do you think about technique, or you, everything just clicks as you're going, and you're not thinking? Um, yeah, I mean, it's the beauty of training. If you've done it right, you shouldn't have to, it it should be second nature, but you're always, you're always thinking, I think, okay, like, you know, shift your weight a little bit over this roll or, or bring my elbows in, or this is a really good spot to be a little bit more aerodynamic or, um, really feel that you're generating speed in these three turns. And I would kind of break it down because there's always easy sections and then hard sections and then scary sections and then sections you're good at. And so you don't want to like have a scary section and then a section that you're very confident in to blend you because you they're going to have different focuses. So you need to almost, you know, you can't, you can't focus for two minutes. It's really, it's really tough. We've, I've, I've trained my mind for years and years and years and years. And it's interesting enough uh, with all of the mind work we've done um, with, with different wavelengths in your brain and going to alpha and everything. And, and trying to stay uh, uh, in in the now, it's very hard to. So it's like it's always like in skiing. It's like don't 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 assess what's going to happen, and don't think about what you've already done because you have a plan. And so it's really you want to stay. Um, I believe it's in beta, right? So you want to stay there. But I 
I could really, I would always have these lapses in judgment around like a minute 35 to a minute 40. Like there's a five seconds there. So I would actually look in the course and figure out where those five seconds were. And I would generally not take any risks because when I started doing more of the, the wavelength training, I noticed that I blew my knee in that 135 to 40 seconds once. And I had like 10 crashes during that time. And that was like, that was where my brain really had lapses in judgment. And, uh, and I need, so I, I, I always knew. So I just checked on the course, like where that was. And there was like a 10 second window in there. And I just, I, I would reset or I would try and get my brain a, a break earlier. If there was a, a section where I could just like, you know, you kind of, you, your brain just wanders. Like you're so good at this. It becomes second nature. Like there were races, like literally at the Olympics. You probably can't remember. Oh, there's, there's, oh yeah, that you can't remember, but there are like times you're, you're in the Olympics, you're halfway down and you are thinking like, man, that ginger beef at lunch was so good. And with this start number, it's probably all going to be gone by the time I get there. But so this is, this is not good news, you know, like, and like, that would be something that you'd be thinking about. And then you're like, whoa. Let's shake that off. Let's get back in the zone. Wow. So your perfect run is anything under 135. You want a really short, fast course. I would love that. I would love that. But, uh, but now that as you get older and more experienced, the longer courses are better because lots of guys can, can focus that little bit of time. And you notice, you see shortened courses there. It's a whole new game for a lot of the racers. So anyways, that was just a threshold and it was really a, a thing. So I always had to work on that little five second blip there. And I mean, is it easier crossing the finish line? Is it just like pure joy? I did it. Or I guess it depends on how it worked out. Well, I am it. Listen, Rose, I do the greatest sport in the world. It's always fun. It was always fun. You get to the bottom. I mean, even if it sucked and your race wasn't good and all that stuff, you got down to the bottom. And I mean, you, you always, you always achieved uh, something. I mean, the, the brotherhood through the, all the racers, everybody was doing something crazy. Everybody worked together, the mutual respect. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it was always a good time. I mean, what, you know, landing a 60 meter jump and going 120 kilometers an hour. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun when it's over. I bet. Uh, honestly, relief, pure relief. And like, I don't know if I'm going to do it again would be in my mind every single time, but your party, your party, CB, CBC threw you a farewell party for all those people south of the 49th parallel. Is it 49th parallel? It is. Yeah. 49th. Honestly, it's Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is the station and they reached out to you and said, hey, we're going to throw you a party. Is that kind of how it happened? And Yeah, we were talking and, and uh, that's what they wanted to do. I mean, I, I couldn't have a retirement party. So um, yeah, it worked out. I mean, it was so great to have, I mean, it was, it was a couple hours, I think. I forget how long it was. And, and it had so many athletes from like my childhood idols came on to uh, a ton of Olympians that I had uh, competed with, um, not just in skiing. I mean, I had tons of like Kelly Vanderbeek and Dustin Cook and Eric and everybody, all my old teammates. But, uh, you know, we get the downhill skiers and figure skaters with like two peas in a pod. It's hilarious. Girls and guys, it's so funny. We're just like the same kind of creatures. So lots of figure skaters came on. Uh, you know, lots of hockey players that, that I know over the years, you know, so it's, it was just, it was nice to get everybody together and, and, 
celebrate. Yeah, and have a drink and yeah, totally. I mean, it, what, what else were we going to do? I mean, otherwise it, it just wasn't going to happen. No, it's awesome. I imagine you've got a good fan base. Did people reach out, send you all kinds of wishes? Did you hear lots of feedback from fans? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, 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 the celeb types, I mean, they're, they're fine. They, they, uh, you know, they have good advice and stuff, but actually I think, you know, lots of, lots of, there's so many friends out there, so many fans. Uh, I couldn't believe the, the fan mail that came uh, with, with just pictures that people had taken through my career. And then they sent it to me saying, Hey, like this moment was really special to me or whatever. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing that, uh, you kind of forget you're just living your life and you're going around and, and that uh, when you meet these kids, especially kids, you know, it's, it's so special to them. And you don't know if they have posters of you on your, on their wall or whatever. And, you know, now they're adults and they reach out and yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing that that part is, is, uh, is the best gift of being an athlete. It truly is. Wow. Well, I love that you give back to, I noticed you, you do a kids charity camp in Whistler. You've done that. I don't know if that's a number of years. I mean, I know that you travel charity circuits, right? Golf. You happen to be a pretty decent golfer, I hear. Yeah, I uh, I do. I, yeah, I try to go to a bunch of uh, right to play events, and you know, there's kid sports events around that that I go to. And Mike Janik and I, um, you know, now COVID and everything, the Cowboys camp isn't happening. But for for a decade, we we ran the Cowboys camp, which was an all all expenses paid camp to kids that that showed uh excitement and motivation and and just love for the sport and it wasn't necessarily if they could afford to go to summer camps or anything and and uh started with the 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 get up and go awards that we just gave out bursaries and it was for the most enthusiastic kids you know the you know sometimes like i was enthusiastic when i was a kid but i actually think i i i i um I was in, I was motivated more by the the kids that maybe didn't have as much talent that still loved it as much as I did, right? So they motivated me, and I kind of wanted to give back to those kids because you know they they may not make it, and but um, but they have the skill set. And actually, I mean, ironically, like Broderick Thompson came to our camp, and he was at World Championships uh, in Cortina this week, and uh, Reese Howden as well. He he came to our uh, Cowboys camps and he's been winning world cups this year. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a bunch of, of racers now that have gone to the camps and then now are winning world cups. So it's, it's pretty amazing to see. Honestly, that's great. That's such great mentoring too. And, and on that note, I mean, that feel good note, you've got a, a beautiful family. I know a lovely wife and two children now. Two. Yes. Two, two kids. Um, and, uh, yeah, Toby is 10 months old. And uh, Sloan is just turned, and it's been kind of hectic, you know, with uh, a March 19th birthday or birth date for Toby. I mean, we went into the hospitals and they were kind of normal. And uh, we had a C-section, my wife had a C-section. And uh, and when we came out, I mean, every day I was kind of coming back in. I'm like, okay, honey, it took me like an hour and a half to get into the hospital today. Like, it's like, we're on lockdown now. And uh, yeah, it was pretty surreal time to to have a kid, but um, with the retirement and everything, like what an amazing gift to just have a whole year with my with my with my child. And I mean, he is just like he's like the sweetest little guy. I love every ounce of him, and he's just so good, <laughs> which is really great. It's been really nice. It's easy now. That's all I'm gonna say, Manny. And will they ski? Holy smokes, Rose! Oh my God, my four year old skis the whole mountain. She skis from the peak down. 
She's very good. She's ripping through the trees. She makes fun of me because my skis don't fit through the trees like her skis. It's the only real thing that when I like, you know, you know, four year olds, they're like, you ask them something to say no. And then they think about it. And, and then they're like, maybe you get a yes. Skiing's the only thing that I say, you want to ski today? And she says, yes, that's it. So we try and ski at least three days a week. Um, yeah, we've been, we've been skiing quite a bit. And um, yeah, I thought maybe I'd put Toby on some skis. You know, he's 11 months now he's in a week. So I thought I'd put him on skis just to, like he can stand. So the boots. Can will... he walk? No, 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 no. But skiing's easier than walking <laughs> if you do it earlier. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's amazing. So, so what's ahead for you? What's ahead for our Manny? I'm calling you our man in search of speed. Oh man. I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, I've been doing lots of different things. Um, you know, definitely, I mean, daunting tasks to retire at an earlier age in life. Um, it's not a real retirement. It's just a, a pause for the next chapter. But I know lots of people uh, gave me gave me great advice. Lots of people, you know, Kelly Vanderbeek said, I love it. She said, uh, you know, now if you if you choose, if you have a bad employer, you can just quit and move on, right? Where, you know, with Alpine Canada, you're like, you're like, this is what I've got. And like, let's, we're going full bore. And, you know, sometimes you get coaches you like, sometimes you don't, but like, you know, they hold the magic key, right? They hold the key. So um, there's that. And then also just being in a cyclical uh, world. I mean, the, the peaks and valleys that we had and, and, you know, and then the, the, the four-year cycles to the Olympics or the two-year cycles to world championships and everything that we do always had an end goal. And, uh, you know, now it's, it, you know, it's a little tougher. I mean, it's like every day it's, to me, it feels a little bit like Groundhog Day, like, especially, you know, because the weekends and the weeks are blending into each other. So um, I, I, I stay busy. I stay busy. I mean, skiing has been a real great uh, release and um, I've been, getting uh certifications for backcountry and i just got a sled and just like to be able to go backcountry skiing and ski with all my friends that are enjoying different the different values of the mountains you know like i'm front country groomers all the time and now at least i can go in the backcountry and enjoy enjoy the mountains that i've spent so much time in and haven't really been able to to see the other sides of them so that's been amazing and then you know like uh what kind of world are we living in Rose right, these days? You know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's kind of nice. I have time to, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of, um, this is a good pause. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of craziness going on. And I, and I mean, who knows where the world's going to be? I mean, I, I was reading the other day that, uh, um, once, um, once this aid package comes in, I mean, 40% of our money, will have been printed in the last year in North America, right? So, you know, there's a lot of liquidity. I think it's 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 a good time to look into the future, like really engage the future and and see like where is tech going to take us? What jobs are going to exist? What um, what what is going to be our reality in in a decade? Not like tomorrow, but in a decade. And uh, and I think it's been really great. I've given myself lots of time to read and to see um, just see see what what that reality looks like in, in in my world and like how I can envision it. And um yeah, I think um yeah it's it's a great time for for soul searching because I think the world we live in last year or today is 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 not going to be even a close reality to where we're going to be at 
whatever whatever that is if it's you know cryptocurrencies to whatever to it's going to be an interesting uh transition a brave new world a brave new world for sure I was talking with someone that said it's going to be more about the art of being than the art of doing. And I thought that was really interesting, right? We're not on that same kind of treadmill anymore. I don't know how, you know, how things are going to unfold in the ski world or coaching or whatever, but in the people world, I think more than ever, the bridge builders are going to matter. And people with you that have experience just overcoming challenges, setting goals, learning to be a good ambassador of kind of humankind. I think that's going to matter a lot, juxtaposed with whatever we're doing from a tech stand. We're going to need some really deep thinkers, I think, people that can understand the shoot and going down the hill well. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, people, you know, there's, there's a year of hugs to make up after this rose and people need hugs everybody needs hugs and camaraderie know? tequila camaraderie absolutely. yes absolutely and you know there's you know we we are we are human beings we need interaction we need touch it's going to be interesting as as we get out of this and uh and um you know as a society we are resilient and uh i think it'll be it'll be interesting just to see where where we end up, but I think, um, yeah, it's given me, it's going to be great pause to, to not be a ski racer anymore, but where, where does that, where does that leave me? And I think it's, you know, it's, it's wealth conservation is going to be a big key and, and, uh, and just seeing like, um, everything, interest rates and banks and everything. I mean, oh my God. I know this is a whole different conversation and I love the thought of skiing and clean white snow right now. That's all I'm thinking about is not those deep drops, but you, the glider and all of us trying to figure out how to do that well and with really good meaning. Well, my wife got me this shirt, Rose, just because... I know. I wondered what it was. I tried to retire, but now, oh God, I work for my wife. Okay. That's beautiful. I might need to get a screenshot of that. Okay, definitely. And you know, I, yeah, like this, this week... You know, I living living out of a suitcase 200 days of the year, you know, you don't get very good at cooking. Um, and my wife is like the most fabulous chef. She's written a cookbook and she's like, she's just so great. And so, but this week, this week I'm in charge of cooking and, uh, you know, just like thrown to the wolves, but it's, it's been great. Her business is booming and, uh, and it's just so nice to return the favor. I mean, she's been, uh, you know, uh, my sidekick and, and and really helped, you know, fill the gaps for what, what I needed emotionally and physically and, and with our children and everything. And so to be around and, and help, um, you know, I'm not the best helper, you know, I'm still an athlete, you know, but I try my best and, uh, I help where I can, but, uh, you know, we're such a great team and, and, uh, and, uh, and I hope she would say the same and, but it's been, it's been so much fun. It's been, that part's been just great. Like just hanging out with our children and, being able to be her sidekick and help her a little bit, you know? Hats off. I I think that's true of all spouses during this time too. You know, you're getting to see what the other half really had to do to make it all happen. I know my husband was on a plane every week. So this has been um, same thing for us. And, um, you know, silver linings, if we can still keep seeing some of the silver linings and uh, new opportunities for growth, I think that's a huge thing. Thanks, Manny. I know you're a busy guy though. You got 
dinners to cook and things to do. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to thank you so much for coming on and um, sharing your words of wisdom. Any any final last thoughts? Because I really feel like what I see in Manny is you know, a really strong, great person that sees the the wealth in the individual and makes, you know, really harnesses the best of all the situations. You've, you've gone through crashes, you've stayed in the races, you've ascended to the podium, you're the support guy when you're not on the podium. Um, how can people be their best selves right now? Is there one final like word or? Well, I think, you know what, it's, uh, thanks for giving me that opportunity, but I think uh, it's, uh, you know, make sure to connect with your loved ones in a, in a manner that uh, is, is heartfelt and meaningful because I think everybody needs that. And I think something that's really gotten me through a lot of issues and helped me compete on, on the world tour and everything is that never underestimate other people's insecurities. And I think if you go around and you, and you, and you, and you feel that, that people, people generally project insecurities and to not take them to heart, but to take them with how can I help them? Um, I think it, it goes a long way and you become a better person because of it. Oh, that's great advice. All right. I can't top that. That's amazing. Thanks, Manny. <laughs> take care. Yeah. Thanks so much, Rose. Please say hi to um, the family for us. Can't thank you enough. I wish you all the best. Thanks for coming on Sipping on Stories. It means the world. Uh, it was so great. Thanks so much, Rose. All right. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.